everyone and welcome back to the third episode of the World of Heritage. My name is Nilufar and here with me is Stephanie. Hi, we are students of the World Heritage Studies program at the Brandenburg Technical University and this podcast is our study project for this year's Queering the Narratives course, which is organized by our lecturer Mrs. Caitlin Williams. In each episode, we have a new guest from the BTU Heritage community, and we are really excited to introduce to you our third guest, Elizabeth Barnard. Liz was born and raised in Johannesburg. She studied interior architecture at Pretoria University in South Africa. During her bachelor's, she fell in love with history and the idea of heritage and how preservation works are running all around the world. After graduation, she entered the market and worked as an interior designer and interior sales consultant and expert for six years, which gave her the chance to learn more about the design industry and simply studying people by guiding them. However, the passion of the heritage brought her back to the academic world and now she is in her winter exchange semester in Antwerp, Belgium. She's doing her third semester of the World Heritage Studies master program. She brought a wave of summery mood with her from Johannesburg as she had a short visit for the Christmas holidays back home. Hello, Liz, and thank you so much for joining us for today's talk. Hello, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very keen to um, yeah, have a conversation with you girls. Let's start the first round of our questions. When was the first time that you got in contact with World Heritage? I would say introduction to World Heritage literally was when my fingers found the master's program that was being offered by BTU. And in terms of studying World Heritage, that's the first time that I was introduced to it. But when I was in my architecture, in my undergrad, I had been introduced to the concepts of heritage. And yo, I did have, I had interest in heritage from back then already, but things ended up going in my career and stuff. I never actually got to practice a lot of it. Yeah, in, in life, but then uh, found my way to studying it uh, six years later. And now I'm learning a whole bunch more about it. And how about your underground experience? When you were studying architecture, how was your feeling toward that? Okay, so I think I think I get very absorbed by whatever it is that I'm working with. So it's been easy for me to dive completely into studying heritage because it's like my task at hand, if that makes sense. And I think when I was studying my undergrad, like specifically Pretoria University is sort of well known for being one of the best universities to take on the challenge of getting an architecture degree. So it was all consuming. I'm going to put it that way. It was completely all consuming. And even though that you were introduced to other things, I think I had a little bit of a tunnel vision with my undergrad in terms of uh, yeah, getting completing it and getting out and, and wanting to practice specifically interior design. So I think I was quite narrow-minded actually in my in my bachelor's. But it was also it was the first, the first, what do you say, tertiary education that I took on after leaving school. And I think with that comes all of the pressure of needing to turn it into a career building exercise. And yeah, it's like you take yourself a little too seriously as a student and um, there's, there's a whole bunch. I think it's it's a difficult place to be in, to sort of encourage actually being open-minded, I would say, because there's so much pressure to just get the degree in the first place. It's a, it's a, it's a very pressurized, high performance, very demanding program. Um, but yeah, so in terms of my undergrad relating to heritage, obviously I was introduced to it and, but it definitely the ex exploring heritage wasn't a primary focus 
in my undergrad what was the primary focus was building a designer out of me and making an interior designer that would yeah be successful in a career as a interior designer so yeah quite narrow-minded actually to be perfectly honest thanks a lot We heard that you decided to study heritage and how you decided to study heritage. But after deciding it, what was the process for you to get the visa to go to Germany? All right. Um, the visa process was honestly horrific and extensive. It was incredibly laborious and it was very, very, very admin intensive. And honestly, also just the, the pressure of nothing being guaranteed sort of made, it makes it stressful. So the way that, that it's sort of put across is that you're not allowed to come to Germany without this visa. And that sort of quite heavy negative sort of motivator is stressful. So they, they give you a, a checklist and they say, okay, so, and I mean, it's, an, it's, a, it's a long checklist. There's 13 items on it. And it, it is, it's a lot of admin. It's a lot of running around. It's a lot of organizing. It's It's all consuming again. It's a, it's a very big task to get a visa. So they give you this 13 point checklist and you then basically have to make sure that you answer everything on that checklist because they sort of explain that if there's anything missing, then they don't give you the visa. Yeah, it, it was an incredibly, incredibly tight schedule. Honestly, it took me a year to apply between finding out with the different deadlines that BTU had stipulated. And also there's a there's a, a facilitating sort of company that actually overlooks or it screens all applications of people coming to do, applying to universities in Germany. And this screening, it's called UniAssist. It's like, yeah, this screening company basically um, goes through all the applications before submitting them to university. So it's just, it's basically a series of rings that are lit on fire that you just have to but they say that it can take up to five months to get the visa and it takes up to yeah I think it took a month to get my um, transcript of records from a university and I had to wait to hear back from BTU and literally the moment that I heard back from them whether I got into the program or didn't it was like that moment I needed to apply for the visa because I only had those five months then to get the visa back in time for me to then apply for yeah it, it was a it was a very demanding task not a simple thing quite stressful like like I say because you have this looming negativity of if you don't perform and if you don't do everything on this list it's they'll just deny it and they do sort of obviously they have the, the authority to do that and it, it doesn't come across as a very helpful or yeah uh, easy thing to do but anyway whatever so When you actually get the visa, I mean, uh, yeah, I worked when I got the visa. I think uh, then, uh, yeah, then I had, a, I think I had a month to hand in my resignation at work. I had to work that month of September. I had to book all of my leave for the end of September to then be able to leave with a few days spare to spend with family and to get to Germany to start the semester in time. I think we, we were starting on like the first week of October, I think was the, the orientation. But anyway, so yeah, the visa, the visa is, is not a small task. It's a, it's, there are people who don't need a visa. So like if you've got an American passport, you can just come and it's a little bit easier for you. I don't think they know how easy they have it. <laughs> so thanks so much, Elizabeth, for answering our questions so far. We are already done with the first part and we will continue shortly.
back to the second part of our podcast with Elizabeth. Elizabeth, about life in Cottbus, what did you like doing there? And especially before pandemic and also after pandemic, how could you cope up with it? So I don't think I realized what I had when we had the first semester that the it was a normal semester of classes. No such thing as COVID existed yet. Um, so that was a normal semester of um, riding up and down to Berlin. Yeah, exploring going places, um, mainly we are hanging out at people's houses, I guess. And then well, post-pandemic, then all of a sudden, I think I, I did probably as much exploring of the outdoors. I just had a different appreciation for it after the pandemic meant that being outdoors was one of the, it was a luxury, basically. Um, so yeah, I think after the pandemic, meeting up in Cottbus and traveling, not not really traveling to Berlin, honestly, I can't even remember the last time that we traveled to Berlin, just because being on a train is a stressful situation and it's a threat. And what do you do in the city when it's closed down anyway? The parks in Cottbus are more beautiful than the parks in Berlin anyway. Um, so yeah, the museums were closed. Um, so yeah, I think when the, when the pandemic uh, sort of shut things down, um, we sort of looked to Cottbus to see how much there was to do actually in Cottbus and going one of the yeah one of the my most absolute favorite experiences of being in Cottbus is I got a bought a bike a secondhand bicycle and I just got very comfortable with getting on my bike and riding around at any opportunity that I felt like it anytime the weather was good and we did a lot of adventures we, we drove we go back go driving our bikes around um seeing what there was to see exploring nature and um, we spent a lot of time in, at lakes. Um, yeah, drive our bikes out to the lake and um, swim and relax. So yeah, um, different, different exploration. But I also think, thank goodness for the summer. And I'm, I'm grateful that in Cottbus, at least, or in Germany, in, in the Northern Hemisphere, um, the quarantine brought was in during summertime. So we, like when we were allowed to explore outdoors, it was good weather and we could. And I think I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah. As you mentioned this summer, What was your favorite cafe or restaurant in, in the Cottbus area where you could like sit outside and enjoy? So, wow. Okay. Um, I have, I know a lot of private routes that are, that are actually my favorite and um, they're not, yeah, um, I think I would investigate them on my own and sort of exploring. There's ones that if you go to the, the old, um, the old airfield, That's a beautiful place to watch the sunset. There's a lot of just beautiful trees and avenues out there by T1. Actually exploring on campus itself was also beautiful. But if I was meeting with people to be together in a park, um, if it was something short, that tiny little park that's between, I don't even know its name, it connects Reve on the one side to like Universitätstrasse on the other side. If you know Cottbus, you'll know what the one I'm talking about. That for me was a beautiful park to meet people quickly and just, yeah, have a walk around basically and be outside. But what's that beautiful, I think it's Zaxendorf, Zaxendorf Lake. That for me is the best one to go to. I, I, uh, any, any invitation, anytime people asked if I want to go to the Zaxendorf Lake, the answer was yes. That was the best place to just hang out and be with people and yeah, spend the day in nature. It was awesome. In your opinion, what were the main differences between living in Germany and Antwerp and South Africa, considering this fact that you are still in quarantine in Belgium, but uh, how you differentiate it? Okay. So, okay. 
an, an immediate parallel that I can draw with South Africa and Germany is the value of good weather. <laughs> and um, in Cottbus, we definitely did have great weather that, that made out for a beautiful summer. And when I went home to Johannesburg, yeah, South Africa is a sunny place. It's sunny and it's warm and it creates so many opportunities. It means that you can go for a walk, you can go for a bike ride, you can just be outside, you can be by the pool. Um, there's, there's so much that you can do just because the weather is good. And I found in Antwerp, very, very, very similar. The moment the sun is out, everyone is out. It's incredible actually how, how much the city and the people, the, the, the vibe, if you want to call it that, the vibe really lights up when the sun is out. Um, so yeah, that, that I think is a, a universal influencer or no matter which of the three places I've been in. And yeah, in terms of differences, um, obviously South Africa is always going to feel the most familiar because I know the accents, I know the food, I know the language. It's my country, I know it. And then I would say next to that was probably Antwerp because they they do, I mean, they speak a little bit of Dutch, which is similar to Afrikaans back home, which is comforting for me. But then they very, very easily speak English, which makes life easy, makes going to the doctor easy. It makes, if you have a query in the supermarket, it's easy to get answers. And then I think yeah, coming to Germany was the real sort of uh, language barrier and culture barrier mainly because the yeah the, the the language is a it really is a wall it's a <laughs> um quite quite um impenetrable in instances but um yeah so i think germany or and Cottbus specifically is the place that has felt the most different for me and yeah i think that's food wise language wise culture wise yeah and maybe also just like um i think the specifics of how people interact in Cottbus is the most different from my very friendly, hospitable, um, interactive South Africa. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot. Let's take a short break and start again with the third part where we will talk more about the program and we will come back in a few seconds. Cool. Okay, let's continue with our third part where we will talk a little bit more about the program and the exchange semester which Liz is having this semester. Can you please explain us that what did you like most about the World Heritage Studies program? Wow, I think honestly um, being introduced to the nitty gritties of something that I was interested in, but I had a very, a very um, distant sort of understanding of it, honestly. So yeah, I've really, really enjoyed being able to get my hands on understanding what heritage is and how it works in the world today. And honestly, just the knowledge. And I, I think that was part of my, my eagerness in my application was that I wanted to learn about um, heritage. And I feel like that very much has been a highlight of the program and I know that's sort of like a, an obvious answer because we signed up for a world heritage masters you know um so that makes sense but yeah I just think that it was something I wasn't expecting or n not that I wasn't expecting it I just didn't know what to expect so I had a very very open mind and yeah what I've learned I've really enjoyed so I think it really has been the right the right fit if that makes sense yeah that definitely makes sense so we were already talking about the differences between living in these three uh, countries. 
However, mm -hmm. do you can you think of any differences between the academic programs in South Africa, um, mm. Antwerp, Belgium, and Germany? Yeah, for sure. Look, I think nearly impossible to get unless you're doing something specific like accounting which is so straightforward and so basic and there's nothing really that like I mean you know you're learning systems we're not really learning systems with heritage we we're trying to understand a multi-dimensional interdisciplinary concept that's been ingrained throughout human history since the beginning and we're yeah we're trying to eat we're, we're, we're trying to get our fingers in to this part to understand it even as you know as the game is is set right now so I think it's very very hard to compare the education on with regards to studying stuff like design or architecture or heritage or anything that involves the human aspect um to put it very broadly very vaguely yeah so I think my I know that my undergrad in architecture like I had mentioned before it was a, I had a little bit of tunnel vision when I studied architecture because it was sort of I put across to me as the end goal is that you have a successful position that you'll walk out and you'll be able to practice. And that is, if anything, probably opposite to what I'm experiencing now with this master's um, because of the, the, there's, no, there's no set role that we are, are prescribed to walk into. It's an open, open-ended, find your niche kind of degree. So that's a very blatant um, and stark comparison, yeah, from, from South Africa to Germany, I guess. If I'm comparing or looking at the difference between, or in my experience, um, studying heritage at UNFAP compared to studying at BTU, I've grown an immense appreciation for the, our lecturers. But, um, I think it's been incredibly valuable for me to have had the opportunity to learn heritage in Europe at another university because it's given me new lenses for BTU and um, I do fully believe that our lecturers are the safeguarding they they are what they do in their practice in their careers as their job title they safeguard heritage and uh in, in how they teach it to us and how they communicate the principles and the ideas and I, I think of uh Leo Schmidt some of his lectures that he gave me or they they remind me of some of the lectures that I had as a first year student in studying architecture that we're talking about heritage, where you're really engaging with a concept that's incredibly valuable and you can see the strain of it through history. Yeah. So I, I also like, I, I know that, yeah, like our lecturers have done a very good at BTU. They've done a very good job at safeguarding the concept of heritage and trying to communicate that to us and get the value to us and for us to understand it. But, without putting a cap on our mind and without building a block for us to fit into, if that makes sense. Sorry, I know this is very, I'm trying to explain something that's actually quite abstract in my own mind. I just know that when I came to Antwerp, I felt like what I was being taught had a very strong opinion connected to it. And I instantly recognized that the opinion was what BTU had very subtly tried to make me aware of and made me a way to be critical of thinking in that way. So I'm speaking specifically with valuing tangible um, heritage. And I, I'm, I've got one lecturer in um, Antwerp who he's very progressive in terms of valuing intangible heritage. And uh, but and it's, it's been also really, really awesome to have his perspective coming so different from some of the lecturers in in, at BTU. Um, so even though their, their value systems are the same, because their perspective is different, you really, uh, yeah, like I say, I've just, I've been given 
new glasses to see through. And what I've realized is that um, our BTU lectures are really, they're very valuable. They're very, very, very valuable. Yeah, and I mean, uh, there's there's other subjects that I've taken. Okay, like for example, it's very hard to, <laughs> it's very hard to take a conservation subject where you're learning about the practical skills of conserving tangible heritage without seeing that that side of the coin, that value of tangible heritage and, and how much money specifically in Europe is poured into conservation of tangible heritage is just absolutely bewildering for a South African to even try and conceptualize it's it's uh in summary yes i think that my south african education was of an incredibly high standard and very demanding of me and really like the the stressful reputation that it has it lived up to in my experience then btu was far more open-minded and in in a way i thought it felt easier because it created less platforms for me to jump up and stand on but now that I've studied at Antwerp, I realized that actually the essence that BTU is carrying is an open-mindedness to sort of cultivate the multidisciplinary aspect and multi to sort of allow that way of thinking to really flourish. And that way of thinking works best with heritage, I think. Uh, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for all your explanation about BTU and their lectures. I have a question, just a quick one. Uh, you got Erasmus a scholarship, right? Yes, that's the that's how I got to Antwerp. And uh, I want to know that do you recommend it to everyone to apply for it? Besides its long round of requirements and mm. long round of process that you have to mm. prepare. So um, yeah, admin is a tough thing for everybody to handle, and it's a mammoth task. Getting a visa to come to Belgium was as much a like like I had to do even more actually than what I needed to come to Germany in the first place. So in terms of the intensive intensivity, it is really quite a it's equally hard. But take every opportunity that you can. That's been my attitude with this: is that yeah, don't back down from a a possible opportunity because it's difficult. That's not the right that's not the right motivation. Obviously, whether something comes through or whether it doesn't, there's reasons behind that. And whatever situation you find yourself in, there's value to it. So whether I stayed in Cottbus for the semester or, yeah, if things went awry and I didn't end up coming to Antwerp, it's still, you know, there's, there's possibility and opportunity in every instance. So what would you recommend a first semester student if you, if you could give him some advice what would you would you tell him Okay so first things first I would make a very strong recommendation to build friendships and relationships with your entire group don't be selective about who or and I understand that it's challenging because you walk into a group of people and you sort of you're trying to hold on to those that are either maybe the same as you, that speak the same language as you, that maybe have the same culture as you because it's comfortable and because being in a new environment is threatening. But remember that every single person in the class feels the same as you and you're all there for a similar purpose in terms of what you're going to be learning. And what I've learned in hindsight, especially with how Corona has interrupted the friendships that I had and the situations that I had, I've just learned that um, I was given the opportunity to 
I was actually forced to build friendships and relationships with people that I hadn't thought of doing that with initially. And the value that I got from that was really, that was very um, revelational for me. And I just, and even now that we're in third semester and I'm seeing faces and um, I just realized like I should have, I should have focused on building relationships and connecting with my entire class because you're going to work with each other in semester two, you're going to work in semester three, and even in your final thesis semester, when you, you know you want to build these relationships, I would say be as open-minded as possible and try and build connections with as many different people, and and you'll see that you you will you'll walk out with good friends, and that's why I say don't don't um don't narrow your your influence, broaden your influence by who you actually make friends with, um. And other than that, I would say your, your, the next thing for first semester student is just choose to see the positive aspects of everything. Because if you focus on the negative, you'll find them. They're there. There are a lot of situations in Cottbus that you can be, you can find the negative easily. But I'm just, yeah, for the sake of your, the betterment of your own experience, choose to see the positive. Definitely. It was such a wonderful advice. And our last question. What is your favorite World Heritage Site that you want to introduce to us? Um, uh, okay, so to introduce you to a World Heritage um, Site, I would recommend you'd have to travel far, all the way to the southern tip of the African continent. Um, there's something called the Drakensberg um, Mountain, the Maluti Mountain um, Mountain Range, and it's um, yeah, it's a it's a natural heritage site. Um, it's absolutely incredibly beautiful. No matter what time of year you go, it's incredible. So, yeah, that would be a, a good introduction to the magnificence that you can find in South Africa. And also, it's situated within a cultural context that's also got a lot of history to it, and that's very rich. And um, yeah, you'd get a good you'd get a good understanding of South Africa by going to the Drakensberg. <laughs> Thanks so much, Liz, for taking the time and talking to us. We really enjoyed having you and we hope that the pandemic will be over soon so that we are able to meet you in person. Thanks to you guys also for listening to our third episode. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Liz. We would really appreciate it if you follow us on Instagram. The name of our Instagram page is The World of Heritage. If you have any feedback which you would like us to know, you can always text us. For our next episode of the World of Heritage podcast, we will talk to Kat. Kat is a student from the Heritage Conservation and Site Management Program, and we are really excited to listen to her stories. Thanks again for listening. If you're interested in sharing your story on our podcast too, you can send us a message. See you guys. Bye.